According to the Latin proverb, travelers may change their climate, but never their souls. While it may be admitted that this statement is essentially true, there also can be little doubt that travelers may at least change their thinking. Seeing the world, the different sights, sounds, textures, hues, and passions of cultures different than our own, affords travelers with a unique perspective that militates against prejudice, parochialism, and pettiness. As Mark Twain said, travel somehow broadens the mind and softens the heart. More often than not, travel serves to sunder our uninformed native preconceptions and to establish more mature perspectives. For that reason, travel has always been a component part of a well-rounded education. The banal prejudice and narrow presumption that inevitably accompany an unexposed, inexperienced, and undiscerning lifestyle can often be ameliorated only by the disclosure of the habits, lifestyles, rituals, celebrations, and aspirations of the peoples beyond the confines of our limited parochialism. The great Dutch patriot, Groen van Prinsterer, aptly commented to his students, see the world and you'll see it altogether differently. As a result, in times past, travel was seen as far more significant than just fun and games. It was for more than mere rest and relaxation. It was intended to be more than simply a vacation or a getaway. Instead, it was a vital aspect of the refined instructions in art, music, literature, architecture, politics, business, science, and divinity. It was, according to Benjamin Franklin, the laboratory where theory meets practice, where notion encounters application. Travel has thus enlightened lives and perspectives throughout history. Some of the most famous books, some of the most influential perspectives, and some of the most remarkable social transformations have had their genesis in some great quest or expedition or journey or voyage. From Agamemnon in Troy and Caesar in Gaul to Marco Polo in China and Richard the Lionhearted in Altamere, from Christopher Columbus in the Caribbean and Cotton Mather in Massachusetts Bay to Charles Lindbergh in the Spirit of St. Louis and John Glenn in the Shuttle Enterprise. Just visiting has left an indelible mark upon the human experience. Quoted from the introduction, Just Visiting by George Grant and Karen Grant, how travel has enlightened lives and viewpoints throughout history. Well, welcome back to Bright Hearth Podcast. My name is Brian Sove, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely wife, Lexi. Say hi to the people, Lexi. Hi, people. Lexi has... We're, we're, we're mixing it up. Lexi's beginning this episode fully horizontal, completely laying down. Be- I've been carrying around a baby on my back for four days straight. So. <laughs> because fittingly, we are recording this episode in a room of the house that's actually in the driveway, which is the minivan. Oh. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the subject of recovering travel, recovering vacationing as education. Yeah, recovering the lost art of traveling well. Yeah. Traveling well is one of the arts of domesticity and the productive Christian household, in our opinion. So we're going to be talking about that, but we're talking (laughs) about it moments after returning from the Palouse promised land. Literally, like Uh, maybe 90 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) We just got back from Moscow, Idaho, where we were up at Grace Agenda. We met many of you, dear listeners up there in Moscow. Sorry if if you were trying to talk to one of us at one point and all of a sudden we bolted off. That probably meant that one of our children was I was going to say, or like five children climbed out on us at once. At so. the same exact moment. So yeah. especially they have this they have this great block party at the end of Grace Agenda, and it's just like several blocks closed off 
all kinds of hospitality and wonders there. And pretty much and, no child that has attended Grace Agenda has slept normally for like five days straight. No. And then all of them are like <laughs> hopped up on sugar, fleeing through the crowds for, towards free ice cream and free <laughs> soda and all kinds of stuff. Man, and homemade food. Did you ever try that street corn? I did not. I can't wait no, to make it. It was I, I didn't so get to. good. I was too busy eating like five hot spicy sausage dishes that no one else, they mm. kept bringing them to me and I just kept eating them. Anyway, so we just returned from a, a few days of travel ourselves. And this is one of the things we like to do every year, head up to Grace Agenda. And uh, we're, we're very appreciative of Christ Church and um, the hospitality that those guys show. And also just driving from Utah up to the Palouse and then through the rolling wheat. And, you know, we will forgive the beauty of the fields, though they are growing rapeseed which will be turned into canola oil. It's still beautiful. Flowers. They're beautiful, yeah. Beautiful yellow flowers. And green fields meeting the wheat fields is just beautiful. So you should check out uh, the photography of Hannah Greiser or Grease. I don't know how to pronounce it. G-R-I-E-S-E-R. Greisler? I think, she, I think she's the one that made the street corn. I was, talk, I think really? I was talking to her, yeah. Her photography is amazing and really demonstrates the beauty. So anyway... In this episode, this is going to be, Lord willing, our second to last episode in uh, this season of, I almost said the King's Hall, <laughs> in this season of, <laughs> we're tired, in this season of Bright Hearth. So really quick, before we jump into it, let me give you an idea of where we're going, because last week I promised you that I would tell you essentially the topic and uh, kind of get you ready for what we're going to be doing uh, in the next season which is coming up very soon. So um, at the heart of season two is the thesis or the idea that marriage is at the heart of the productive Christian household, right? That you cannot have a productive Christian household normatively without having a uh, flourishing marriage at the center. So we're not so much changing topics as we are doing a deep dive yeah. in one of the foundational things you must have in order to have a productive household. So we're going to be talking about marriage. We'll talk about all sorts of subjects on there. Let me give you a few um, things like being easier to please. We're going to talk more about sex because so many of you messaged us about the one episode we did this season that that was helpful. So we're going to talk more about that. Um, we're going to talk about, as we, we said I think a few episodes again ago, headship, head coverings, how we think about that. We'll talk about toxic patriarchy, toxic matriarchy, fighting feminism in your marriage, in praise of godly offspring, pulling weeds, pornography, bitterness, complaining, unforgiveness, resolving conflict, respecting your husband, leading your wife, date night, for or against, what do we think about that? We've got a lot of, we hope, helpful content coming in season two of Bright Hearth. Anything you want to add to that, babe, before we jump in? No, I'm just excited to tackle those topics. Yes. Some of those we've been wanting to do a podcast about for years. <laughs> yes. I mean, literally, because people email us, they ask us questions about these things, and um, we've, we just haven't always had a good platform to communicate about them. So we think this is the right platform for this. Anyway, let's talk first about our experiences traveling, because we've had quite a few experiences, partly from being military kids. And then we're basically, for the rest of the episode, going to talk about how to think and how not to think about traveling mm -hmm. and vacationing. So, Lexi, what, what kind of experiences have you had traveling? I think I've been to 48 states 
in the United States. I've been to Canada countless times and once to Mexico by accident. I have not traveled abroad like you have, but I have traveled more around the U.S. than you have. Yeah. So, um, and I lived in some pretty cool places. I lived in Alaska for a while. And then we lived in D.C. when September 11th happened. So that was kind of a, it's a cool place to live already, but then have something like September 11th happen while you live there. And well, it's a completely different experience. It was not good. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we did lots of traveling. I've been to lots of places in the U.S. I have my favorites, not so favorites. And yeah. Yeah. We drove everywhere. My mom did not like flying. So anytime we moved, which was a lot every, you know, two and a half years, we drove. So that's how we got to see so much. Yeah, you guys went all over. You pulled yeah. a camper. Yeah, we did a two-week trek when we moved from Florida to Alaska up through Canada, across Canada. We That was a two-week trek, both there and back when we moved back down to the lower 48s, as they say. Yeah. So that was really, really cool and definitely formative experiences of my childhood, for sure. Yeah. It w- was your experience being in the dark all the time why you like movies that make you sad? Oh, no. In Alaska? <laughs> In books that make no, you sad? I've always liked books like that. I don't know what it is about me. They just they I feel thought, cozy. <laughs> sunny Florida Lexi. Why? But remember, I don't Beach like Lexi. Florida. I don't like Florida. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were made for the darkness. <laughs> I'm sorry. That one. Never mind. Uh, I only mean that in the sense of your... It sounds like I just called my wife a demon. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah, so we, we did have... We, we both traveled widely in different ways and for different, uh, but for the same reason. Lexi's dad was in the U.S. Air Force. Uh, my dad was also in the U.S. Air Force. And we lived in few, we moved less frequently, but we did. So I, I was born in California, moved to Ohio, and then we moved to, to London, England, and lived there for three years from my kindergarten, first and second grade years. I lived in London and my dad actually was an exchange officer with the Royal Air Force. So he wasn't, we didn't live on a, on a American base, which is more typical. But probably the cooler way to do it is to not live on the base. No, I'm thankful that we, we more lived in just a British neighborhood, British friends, British neighbors, British park. (laughs) So we got three years there. My dad worked, I think in London or close to there. We did the whole underground all the time thing, the tube, and rode our bikes around the neighborhoods, the shops, and uh, just really loved living in England. Sometimes you did get called a yank, but, you know, we just took it as a compliment since we won the war. So, I mean, sorry, guys. Sorry, Queen. My dearest dream as a first and second (laughs) grader was to have tea with the Queen, uh, and I did not get the invite. So, yeah, we were there when Princess Diana died. Went to, to Buckingham Palace, just Trafalgar Square, pigeons landing all over you. But before we moved back to the U.S., when we were moving from London to Utah, we went on what's called a Euro camp. So it's like you take we took our Dodge Grand Caravan, like our 98 Dodge Grand Caravan or whatever it was, and we drove all over Europe. We went on you know, fa- the ferry across to the continent. We did all over Europe, France, Germany. Switzerland, Italy, Scotland, really all over the place. So that I don't know, I might I almost feel like I've been to as many countries as I have states because I didn't do as many 
as much American travel. It's probably not true. I've probably driven, you know, driving through, but we were able to explore all the castles, go through mm-hmm. the cathedrals, and even as a lad, though my favorite parts were were the normal second grader things of like eating, <laughs> and there was a particular, particularly good mud hill, muddy hill in Scotland <laughs> that I recall with fondness, uh, <laughs> climbing up and getting muddy on. Um, that was a really incredible experience getting to travel through Europe and uh, and to live in the the kingdom in the United Kingdom. So really enjoyed that. Uh, that's some of our background here. But what we wanted to talk about now is just how to think and how not to think about vacationing. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I'll, I'll just state it and then I'll, I'll pitch it over to you is that the first thing you need to do when you're thinking about vacationing and traveling is to remember that you are not owed yes. vacations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your yes. thoughts. Absolutely. I mean, I think in some ways everybody has to put their time in. I don't really know how else to put it because we have this weird expectation. Well, maybe it's because of social media. I don't know why, but because we have this expectation of everybody just goes off to find themselves in Europe for a few years, I think especially when you're moms and there's so much work all of the time, including if you want to go on a vacation, we can be super fussy about it or we can have just really unrealistic and unkind expectations for our spouse, for our children. And just like, I don't, I don't know. I've seen this a lot in ministry too. I'll go there. (laughs) Yeah. Where go there. Let's do it. You know, pastors, wives, pastors feel like they're owed a sabbatical even, or um, like, well, no one's, you know, just praying that somebody like tithes X amount of money so you can go like, designated for the pastor's family to go on vacation or to all the conferences. Correct. Correct. And I guess that's what I mean is like, it's cool. And God has provided for us in some unique ways in order to go different places, but it's definitely not something that we should be getting grumpy about. Like the desire isn't bad, but the reaction and the expectation followed by grumpiness and rudeness is bad. And some years there might be some years you get to travel more and other years where like the year that we built this house, we knew that was a year of this house. That's it. Oh, yeah. And at that point, I think I think we've traveled more consistently since moving in this house than we probably ever have. Yeah, we didn't really do much at all. No. And and that's fine. Cause, because for us, at least, the reasoning is because of our children. We would rather have children than vacations. Yeah. Right. It's just how it is. Yep. And even you've always consistently, well... I would probably say maybe since the third year of our marriage, you've consistently taken at least a week off where we've either done a staycation or we have gone somewhere. Even that isn't necessarily guaranteed for everybody. Yeah. And a lot of times we've done where the week was staying here. Yeah. And I think in our house, do a project again, when you have, here I am, the Sabbatarian in me is coming out again. When you have healthy rhythms on a daily and weekly basis, you don't necessarily feel the absolute need to flee from everything. Yes. And the type of vacationing we're talking about, it is not a fleeing to be like poured into in a luxurious way. It's a different type of work, what we're talking about. Yeah, you have to you have to crucify the fussy, entitled God and my husband or my wife or my employer or my church or whoever it is that you think owes you 
that I get to go to Yellowstone National Park for two weeks, kid once free. a year. Someone oh, has to watch the kids. Yeah. <laughs> I get to go on a cruise. I get to go to Europe. You know, my, my husband said he'd take me to Europe and, you know, here we are. And you have three or four or five or six young kids and you're just like looking at the budget going, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and and there's a way that I think, uh, you know, especially this can happen with, I'll talk about a few different ways it can go wrong. One of them is a wife kind of stamping her feet. And making yeah. it like there will be no peace. That's what I've seen the most. I get my vacation. Yes. And so husband, you know, Mac, you better put it on the credit card. And you're pressuring your husband sometimes to make financially unwise decisions yeah. to please you. And you're turning your marriage into a vending machine where he's like, oh, if I put a vacation in, I'll get a, a happy, pleasant woman to be around. For at least six days <sighs> post-vacation. <laughs> and the thing is, it's just not how it is. I think another one you can get, the, the, there's an Instagram, we're mm-hmm. the in Instagram generation for the first time in human history where we can instantly share and kind of, it, it, with good motives. Like, I don't want to say yeah. it's always bad motives. There can be good motives for saying, like, sharing a beautiful place or people are interested and they love you and they want to know what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. But there's also a let me make you envious, an envy farming industry yeah. where you're just, envy is a cash crop. And your your Instagram is the field where it grows. So you're you see young men and young women learn in their single years sometimes now that they they travel sometimes. I, I know young young people, single people who travel sometimes 15, 20 times a year. Where, you know, at least every month they're going on a on a you know multi-day adventure. And and we're gonna talk about this. There's a place for your season of life before you're married in if the circumstances are right for that to be a really good thing to do to travel and to experience certain things we're going to talk about that but then what can tend to happen is that these young people get married and they start delaying kids for the sake of vacations they're so unrooted yeah and that's so unrooted totally gay yeah you don't want that you 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 want to have proper expectations and, and even sometimes where you get married and maybe you didn't get to do that. I didn't get to do that. I mean, like I, my traveling was done as on the U S government's time, which I, I'm conflicted about, but <laughs> <laughs> as a second grader, I wasn't like 18 to 12. Pretty we sure were married. You were innocent in the matter. I was literally paying your, <laughs> your bills You know, by the time I was 19. So it wasn't like we were, we were married, you know, so young that neither of us had this like, multi-year going on vacay kind of getting used to single life so that wasn't the case for us but but you there's a there's a ditch there that young people can fall into and i would say to to those people have kids have kids get rooted don't be a single person that once a month is not in church oh my gosh we need to talk about this yes don't do that don't do that don't put don't like, I get flexibility. I get wanting flexibility as a family, but if it's, if it's flexibility at the expense of covenant community, don't do it. In in our area, it's like, and I'm not necessarily talking about Christians in our church that I'm, I'm not thinking no. of anybody. If you're listening to this, these are the people, shoe fits repent, these are but, people that I have known in the past though. Yeah. And they're kind of archetypal known. Utah. <laughs> 
temptations that were passing through, through the, because they weren't rooted. They were just passing through Utah for a little bit until the yeah. next school place came into there. It's like in the fall, I do my hiking. In the winter, uh, I'm gone to you know one to three Sundays from church for snowboarding or skiing. In the spring, I'm doing my um, southern Utah trips. And then in the summer, I'm doing my high you into backpacking. So I'm gone on average, you know, one to three Sundays a month. And you're going to be a, pa- I mean, you're just, you're, you're, you're living and acting like a pagan. So don't expect to develop yeah. rooted Christian maturity. If, if you're a single man or a single woman, and that's your pattern of life, you're not preparing yourself for a productive Christian household or a healthy relationship to travel yeah. in marriage. So you're not owed this you you shouldn't be stamping your feet there's a male and a, and a and a female way of sinning in these directions or being unwise in these directions um you know and another thing that happens if you do that as a single person a lot and then you get married you start having kids you can actually believe this lie that vacations are restful yeah that's true <laughs> when you begin to have children that's true if you if you vacations are not restful do an inordinate amount of luxury vacationing like recreational vacationing versus educational then you can then walk into family life and you have an unbalanced view of what you should be doing with your vacation your off time yeah yeah you're bringing your kids along and we're going to start talking about this now travel as education where you're bringing your kids along and you know we're bringing our kids up to Moscow, Idaho this weekend for Graceogen, and they're sitting with us in in all of the solvices, as our kids call them. The oh, is there, no, is there another solvice now? <laughs> no, what? They think they're all church services, so they're like, "What? We just did a solvice. <laughs> is there another solvice? You know?" But they, my boys, they were so good though. They, this they week. nailed it. Yeah, they, they they're were getting used to the Grace Agenda, like rhythm when we're up there yeah their kerfuffles and things were all appropriate for their age they did really well they did a great job boys went to the men's seminar with me the lexi took um the girls the girls to the women's they sat with us through the conferences they sing they go to church with us so but as you begin to travel as a family and as a productive christian household with, with children you just realize that if you're doing it right as the parent vacations aren't necessary i'm not saying you should not rest or have restful things built into your traveling and vacationing time. But it's not necessarily there's a shift that happens where you're not traveling as a single person anymore, just kind of on your own clock. Enjoy it, you know, while you're there. Um, but now you're, you have children to tend to and to take care of, and, and they're thrown off on their schedule. Yeah. And it's tempting to get lax on discipline, and it's tempting to be selfish. And instead, you need to fight that and think, okay, we're going to take the kids to the park now. We're going to, yeah, we're going to serve the kids. Let's talk about traveling as education, okay? Because that's really in the in the cold open. We quoted from this great book, "Just Visiting" by George and Karen Grant, mm-hmm. whom we have referenced several times in the last few episodes. And actually, the final episode on, of this season is also going to feature. A quotation from this book. I already wrote it down. Oh, you did weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, funny. So uh, this this book is really great, and one of the things that's really great about it is the thesis is basically how travel has enlightened lives and viewpoints throughout history. So it's Mm -hmm. you know it's actually looking at before our modern Instagram planes everywhere, travels easy. It's you know it's it's an easy commodity. 
before everybody's like, I get to travel twice a year or whatever it yeah. is. Travel is seen as a part of education. Yeah. And really as a, and when you put it in that category, you see why restfulness ne- isn't necessarily the first aim. People understood yeah. that travel is work. So why don't, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Typically young men, if finance is allowed, their education was not considered finished until they went about the grand tour. Do you want me to read this? Yeah, why don't you read? He has a great paragraph just kind of explaining what the Grand Tour was. Yeah, I think it's the first paragraph. Uh, Let's see. The long and varied history of the Grand Tour, which invariably began in London and ended in Rome with visits to Edinburgh, Venice... Edinburgh. Edinburgh. I was going to say he's going (laughs) to correct me. Edinburgh, Paris, Venice, Florence, Vienna, Jerusalem, and innumerable other great cities along the way includes amazing stories of such travels as Queen Victoria, John Milton, John Ruskin, Percy Shelley... Anna Jameson, Lord Byron, Adam Smith, Thomas Hobbes, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, Joseph Addison, Charles Dickens, William Wordsworth, Emma Hamilton, William Thackeray, and Edward Lear. And the Grand Tour was not merely an English phenomenon. Americans such as Washington Irving, Julia Ward Howe, Mark Twain, Henry Adams, Stephen Crane, Harriet Beecher Stowe, and Henry Cabot Lodge also traveled abroad as youngsters. Among that eminent number was Theodore Roosevelt. Is there more that you have? No, that's good. You can stop there. He he goes on and explains his um, how Theodore Roosevelt, if any of you guys, there's some great biographies. I can't remember the one I read recently about Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt. And he, he talks about how he was a young lad who was kind of a weakling. Like he had asthma growing yeah. up. He was really, un, he, he was unwell a lot. And then what he did was he decided he needed to make his body. Is I think his father told him yeah, this. It was his dad, his yeah. His dad said, you need to make your make your body. Like, you need to go get tough. And one of the things Theodore Roosevelt did in order to do this was go on the Grand Tour, not just once, but twice. And, yeah. And he talks about how that was, that was a, a very formative part of him learning independence, masculinity, self-reliance, and also toughness. Because, I mean, think about travel. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Roosevelt's back day. then... And even the where I first read about the Grand Tour was in Van Loon's book, The Arts, that I've been reading all year. Mm-hmm. And that was back in like hundreds of years ago that they were talking about yeah. how the young men, it's actually how the eclectic style came about was if if you could go to, into a man's estate mm-hmm. and you could tell he had art from different places, eclectic collections, you knew he went on the Grand Tour. Oh. So... It was like a mark of an educated man to have a more eclectic style, but that's because he was educated on why it was eclectic, not because he just picked it up at the thrift store, just saying. But um, <laughs> but he didn't buy a package at Ikea that said correct. eclectic <laughs> decorations. <laughs> correct. We want to buy, we want to buy history new. Like we always want to, you know, buy our, uh, like purchase our interestingness instead of earning our feathers. <laughs> but I thought it was, I just thought it was really just interesting that was my first introduction to like oh wow this can be educational and we need to recover this yeah that is that is fascinating even if you read a book like around the world in 80 days jules verne where this gentleman makes a bet in the like gentleman's saloon or whatever it's it's a like a posh upper class british watering hole or whatever and he makes a bet that he's this punctual guy he knows he can make it around the world in 80 days or he loses it's like a vast sum of money and then he goes like all the different means of uh transportation he had to use trains boats you know uh cabs that were pulled by natives elephants like he was he had to go for it so uh anyway 
the reason that we talk that we bring this up is because I think not necessarily because we're trying to say that well it used to be that all Christians did this grand tour and that was how education <laughs> was finished no this was no, no. more upper class like you yeah. had to have means you had to be a yeah. part of the educated class you would have been an aristocracy mm-hmm. or you would have mm-hmm. been a higher class to do this but what we're saying is that we should approach travel within whatever means we have yeah with that mindset well and i think too like I mean, you can travel frugally. Yeah. I grew up doing it. You think about the things that parents spend money on for their kids. Like, I just, oh my gosh. It would be such a shame to, like, go to some European country to, like, just do rock climbing and to have no idea about the history of the place afterwards and all of the moral reasons that those battles happened there. Like, that would be so devastating. And I think that's what ends up happening is, like, I don't know, Disney World, Disney World, Disney World, Hawaii, Hawaii. Like, yeah. I'm trying to think of all the places that all the Utah people like to go. Where it's, it is literally pure recreation. There's no character building that's happening. Yeah, or at that's, least the character building is all incidental. It's not like... Yes, that's what is so sad to me. <laughs> yeah, we should we should want to inspire our children, to give our children roots in... in, in in history, but I even think specifically that one of the most valuable ways that you can give your children roots is roots in the West, the, the history of the West, of Western yeah. civilization. Yeah. You know, and it's so sad that right now it's looking like I don't know if we'll ever be yeah. able to travel through the through the continent, through Europe or through with the jabs which must not be named for the algorithms. Like who knows how long that's gonna last and we may never be welcome in some of the countries where the faith of our forefathers was forged and the civilizations that they built until they're reconquered, Lord willing, by men with chests, you know, at some point. So that is sad. And, and yet I do, I hope that, I, that we'll be able to someday, <laughs> and I'm already thinking about the dollars, <laughs> you know, but someday I hope whether it's our children get to go when they're, 18, 19, before they go into their trades or before they go into whatever schooling that, you know, they end up in. I really hope that a couple of our boys and, you know, they could take their sister or they they could go with a group of mature Christians and experience Europe and experience Western civilization and and the thick history that's there. But that doesn't mean there's not American history. No, no. And that's, that's, what's been cool about as I've, as I've learned, you know, history and art history and design and architecture, I now have like places I want to go for an actual reason instead of just like, well, it'll be super cool to go float that river. Yeah. <laughs> like and I want to see Teddy Roosevelt's house so bad, Brian. Yeah. I want to see that. I'm taking notes. I want to hike the Appala- Appalachian, Appalachian Trail. That, that I want to go back east where I'm from. I want to. Yeah, all of it. No, I'm with you. <laughs> There's cathedrals I want to see because I think the the murals are beautiful there and I like the stories of how they were built and, you know, yeah, all that stuff. It's really cool. And to me, I think one of the ways that you can strike a good balance with some of these things, you mentioned like floating the river, that kind of thing. Or And I think it's, it's an excellent aim and Christian communities should be working together to have regular activities and 
forays into the wilderness in how, mm-hmm. however you mm-hmm. possibly can in your area yeah. with the young men, especially as they hit about 10 years old, that 10 to 18 window, boys should be going into the wilderness and into wild places and into difficulty, doing physically difficult things and suffering, even if it's a contrived kind of suffering, like a, a long backpacking trip or mm-hmm. a canoe trip down a river, that kind of thing. Those are contrived suffering. Boys need to be doing that sort of thing. And so that also is a part of travel and a part of costs and a part of education. But when you're traveling with the whole family, you know, to me, I think, at least for our family, we would much rather attempt to get our roots deeper into the the soil of history and, and to learn and grow as a family than necessarily just be entertained and recreated at or <laughs> you know and I'm thinking of like the cruise the cruise ship environment is there a redeeming quality to cruises I've never been on one so I don't know I'm sure there is I, I guess too the way I think of it is like for me as a parent I can't relax and recreate with my kids on vacation so I would rather turn it into a learning opportunity it makes more sense for you to take me to a Costa Rican health spa though doesn't it <laughs> I'm taking notes guys I'm taking notes <laughs> No, no, and there's but do you be... see what I'm saying though? Like, yeah, totally. Like, I think, I think, as a married couple, it's good. Which we'll talk yeah. about dates at another time. Yeah. I think it's good, but it just doesn't make sense to me if you want to travel with your family to like assume all this recreation is going to happen. Why not? Right. Turn it in. I mean, you can do it alongside. You know. Yeah, and maybe to clarify, right now we're talking about the minivan, not the not the tickets on the airplane for me and you to go. Yes. Because there's a category where you and I have, and we will, Lord willing, in the future, be able to take, even if they're short now with young kids, like we would like we like and encourage married couples to get away. What, when and did we do that? actually rest all the time. <laughs> uh, if you search your memory, like probably I do that with you once a year, or once okay, a I'm month, just, just, once a week. I felt like I had a memory lapse there. <laughs> Maybe we have. Haven't we done that? Someday. I literally don't remember the last time. It's been a while. It's been a while. Five kids. Uh, It's okay. And I'm not saying that. I'm not mad. I'm not saying that in a mad way. I just literally don't remember. There will be a season of life as our kids get a little bit older where that will be much more doable. And we will, I'm sure. Um, I'm not concerned or bitter, guys. we're able, you know, then we'll we'll figure that out. We're actually talking more about the minivan, like as a family traveling. And um, making the most of your resources and the history around you. Yeah, making the most of your resources, treating this as part of the art of product, pr- productive Christian household. One one element on that that I want to add that is a reason that we even would want to develop connections and go regularly to places where there's thick Christian community like Moscow, Idaho, is because we want our children to be able to know and make connections with people yes. outside of our community and vice versa. We mm-hmm. want those communities to be able to put have inroads with us mm-hmm. in the way that the Jerusalem church had a need and there were other churches in other, even in areas of you know Asia Minor yeah. that were sending money through, there was channel, there was communication that was happening between these hubs of Christendom mm-hmm. of the early church as yeah. it was built up. These, you know, you see early in the church, uh, in the first five centuries, in the first 10 centuries, you, it shifts, but you see there's always hubs in cities, particular cities and places that are influential 
that there's a lot of commerce and traffic where the churches were connected like a network of yeah. neurons, not they weren't just all islands. And the the internet can give us an illusion yeah. that we are connected when we actually need in the flesh thicker yeah. connections than that. Than it's just different. Li- you can listen to all these podcasts and stuff from Canon Press or from Apologia Church or wherever else you guys are listening to and have the illusion that you know those people. Mm-hmm. But you actually need to make connections, even if it's closer to you, like yeah. uh, other churches that are... Like-minded in your area. Close to you as one state over. Yeah. Start making those connections, and those will prove fruitful in ways that you don't even... You yeah. can't predict. Yeah. Your children might marry some of those people. Yeah. You know, you, you might... Your son might work for one of those... That's our hope. A business in another, you know, in that area, you, you're, you know, there's a cross pollination that yeah. happens through travel. That's a good way to put it. Even we just listen to Pride and Prejudice on the way mm-hmm. to Moscow. And, uh, I think of the way that Jane Austen, again, guys, I'm talking about Pride and Prejudice cause it's a great book. It is. You I'm got like, Ari hooked this time. By he the was way. laughing He's so like, hard. Jane about Austen is a He's good like, writer. Such a funny book. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the way that she did, she showed the importance of place, though, and the connectivity of different families across geographical barriers was was really interesting, and I didn't notice that until this time. Or through. even like you were telling Becky about how you're going to be traveling this week, and she was like, "Oh, my son is there. Yep, he does that. You should connect with him." Like, yeah. Who? I mean, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that's how God sometimes chooses to provide. Exactly. <laughs> And yeah, like you said, we see that in scripture, the connections through different churches and provision. So Yeah. So one thing to prioritize when you're thinking about your minivan leaving your state or leaving your area is to think not just about don't just think about what national forest can I visit, what cool thing. Do that too. Yeah, yeah. But also think what thick, fruitful Christian communities can I begin to fellowship with? And yeah. Have Koinonia and fellowship across and space. I don't want to share too much of the Abraham Kuyper for next week, but I think travel, God can use travel in the life of a Christian to encourage them to get back home and keep working hard. Yeah. That's absolutely. what it's been like every single time. But that's not necessarily sometimes when I go to other, when we have gone in to other places, um, sometimes it can be really daunting coming back because you're tired from your vacation. You yeah. you know you're facing a lot of work the next day. Everyone's you know going to be tired. There's going to be housework and but that's not necessarily the case if you're keeping a faith building at the center of it. I guess mm-hmm. because you want to get back to your work because you're feeling so filled up and encouraged. Yeah, so. you're t- you're physically tired, but you are spiritually edified. Yeah, your your heart is ready to put your hand to the plow again. And even as a pastor, like going to King's Cross Church, which just particularized out of Christ Church with Pastor Toby Sumter, for me to be able to go somewhere where I'm actually not in my own congregation and sit and 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 worship with those people, but also be ministered to, like that is an incredible experience that pretty much pastors often only have if they leave and go fellowship with another congregation. It was just, it was really actually refreshing to be able to sit, hear a sermon and confess and sing and read and exhort one another and all these different things, just as a visiting Christian in the flock 
without any duties or responsibilities, just beyond being a churchman. And uh, that was that was really encouraging. So it brings me home and makes me ready to pour out and be poured out again. And then another thing, this is kind of specific to, you know, not necessarily. I'll, it, I'll give my example as a pa- as the pastorate, but it's also this can apply to any any man building a business or a church or whatever you're doing. And that is that leaving for me also means that there's opportunity for other men and young men even to step up and do things that often I would have been doing had I been there. And this week, mm. you know, we were gone and there were multiple I won't get into any details, but there were multiple times where there were pastoral needs in the church that I would have been involved in in some way. And instead of that, I was gone. I literally couldn't help. I mean, <laughs> a lot of times I didn't even have cell, cell service up there. And so I would just get like all of a sudden a bunch of updates when I came into service because Moscow doesn't have great service if you're on Mint Mobile <laughs> So in a lot of places. But what I saw was the other men on our team, um, you know, Ben Garrett, a deacon at our church, Eric Kahn, Dan Burkholder, Kevin Love, Kevin Griffin, these other men in the church, like absolutely stepped up to the plate and nailed it, just completely took care of business. And actually, it's good for our souls, especially those of you who lead anything, whether it's business or in the church, it's good for your soul to actually see things taken care of that you didn't do. Yeah. It's a way that God dismantles delusions. When Amelia gave me one of the updates on one of the hard circumstances today, the family was so well served that she said they had to actually tell people to stop. Yeah. And I just text back, this makes me so thankful for the body of Christ yeah. because, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, yeah, we were gone. Yeah. We did nothing. I mean, no. we did nothing other yeah. than say, go for it, guys. Like, you're doing a good job. We prayed a lot. Yeah. And being gone, like, God actually does use use that. If you, I think there is a particular temptation for some men, especially men, because they're usually in leading in the church or they're building businesses, to think that they cannot be missed ever. They cannot ever leave. You have to be able to leave. You have to be able to build up other men to bear the load. Otherwise, you're probably not doing your job yeah, when you're there. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. But you have to be, um, you're not indispensable. Like you are, you need to be replaceable. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is kind of just a side tangent off of this subject. But really for us, travel has been one of the ways that other men get opportunities at bat to yeah. go and do a really, you know, Ben, um, Ben did such a good job this week <laughs> when I was gone. He was, he was just like, Till late at night some days, working hard, taking care of people in the church. Dan led the singing at our church, which he's never Still done before. I wish I could have seen it. Well, and then I see a you video of him. You should make him start doing it from now on. I'm, I'm going to... <laughs> I see a video of him leading uh, All Hail the Power of Jesus' name. And so didn't awesome. miss a beat. They don't need me. Like, these people, they're, <laughs> so they're doing great. Like, uh, Eric is taking care of guys, meeting with people. Kevin Love, preached, our headmaster, one of our elders, preached... On Sunday, and also was counseling on Sunday morning. With you know, there's just stuff that comes up, and uh, when when you're gone, you realize that you're not God, but also you God uses and gives opportunity to other men. 
Uh, and even that was how I got my first pastoral experience was always in the midst of these. Just, okay, I'm next up. No one else is going to do it if I don't do it. So I'm going to step up. Um, and I'll say for me, running a productive household, it showed me where my, because I handed over the reins to Sarah for the week. Yeah. It just showed me where like either I'm not training the boys sufficiently enough that it can be handed over or like just systems that are not smooth enough for me to then explain mm. it to somebody else or like no system at all. So I have yeah. no idea. I some I tell you this all the time. Some of my chores are just kind of like emote my way around to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> and I can't explain that yeah. process to somebody else. So, so anyway, that was good it. for me to like have to systematize some of that up front, yeah. a little of that internal organization that I just don't always have time to do. So. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up here. For those of you who are on our Patreon channel, supporting the show in that way, we do a, a patron-exclusive episode every single week that's a little bit shorter than the main episode where we usually just continue in the same vein or sometimes switch gears, but often in the same vein as this main episode, and we will kind of get really practical. And so in this one, I'm going to ask Lexi to actually record. I don't even know if I'm going to be involved in this one. I'm going to ask Lexi to record her tips on traveling frugally and how she's prepared food for our traveling and things like that and has come up with good system, which has been really helpful because I don't feel terrible by the time we get where we're going if I'm eating things Lexi made and not like, <laughs> oh, look, we're at a Maverick. They've got those like tornado wrap things that are full of, I don't know, the ground up meat of several animals put together in some pleasing no, 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 crispy no, no. Uh, handheld tube of meat. So you know what I'm talking about. So she's going to share some tips there on the Patreon channel. We have a link in the description that helps support the show. Uh, we also send out a feed the patriarchy mug for everybody who signs up at certain levels and uh, you get access to our whole back catalog of all of those patron exclusive episodes that are called in the kitchen. Uh, so uh, guys, we're wrapping up this season. I think we've got one or two episodes left in this season. And then we really look forward to diving into marriage as the heart of the productive Christian household in season two of Bright Hearth. But thank you for listening. We uh, pray that God would bless you in your homes, that you would bear much fruit there, that God would keep you and yours in the faith, and that he would cause his face to shine upon you. Thanks for listening.